Hey folks, this is John Curry for another episode of John Curry's Secure Retirement Podcast. Uh, Jay Wolf and I are sitting here today. We have the pleasure of having a conversation over lunch with Carlton Ingram. And I think you're going to enjoy getting to know Carlton. Uh, Carlton, say hello. Hello, <laughs> folks out there in the wide world of podcasting. Uh, today we're going to talk about a couple things. Uh, Carlton served in the military, specifically uh, the Coast Guard. And he's had an interesting career in state government. And we're going to talk about it a little bit. Uh, married to a beautiful lady named uh, Nancy. And sadly, she passed away. So we're going to talk a little bit of what, how do you pick up the pieces after you lose someone that you dearly love? And I think from a man's perspective, that's going to be um, interesting, Carlton. Because yeah. people uh, people think about, okay, somebody lost their husband, so someone's a widow. But what about the widower? So uh, thank you for being with us. And sure. uh, let's start off by you just sharing a little bit about your background. You you went to Florida State. Just tell us a little bit about the early years, uh, a little bit about your Coast Guard, and then we'll we'll get into more about how you met Nancy because that's an interesting story. I'm one of the few uh, Tallahassee natives that you'll run into. I was born here in Tallahassee, <clears throat> graduated from Leon High School, went to Florida State after I graduated in biology, uh, which doesn't have a whole bunch of future if you don't have advanced degrees. Uh, I decided to didn't really want to go to Vietnam, so I joined the Coast Guard. Uh, ended up doing mostly oceanographic work while I was in the Coast Guard up in the North Pacific, <clears throat> uh, about halfway between uh, Honolulu in Japan, and uh, and it was uh, quite deep. It was uh, 3,200 fathoms, and at six feet of th- fathom, wow. I was in pretty deep water, uh, and and enjoyed enjoyed it while I was. Hawaii was pretty. North Pacific was interesting. Uh, when I got out of the service, the uh, job market had kind of Falling through as I had fairly decent job offers graduating from college, but Uncle Sam came first, and uh, we, as as a group of people in in that day and age, if if you were in a land grant university, you were subject to the draft, and you were also subject to having to take two years of ROTC, and I wish I'd stayed in gone on and done the full four years instead of getting out, you know, just doing the minimal two. But uh, got out of the service. Uh, like I say, the job market was, it dried up quite a bit. So I just kind of... What year was that? Uh, got out in April of 1971. I'd been in a year at that point, because <clears throat> I went, not quite a year, because I went in the Air Force October of 1970 and got out in October of 74. So... Somewhere along the way, you were getting out as I was getting indoctrinated. Yeah, well, it's uh, <laughs> once you're in, you're in, <laughs> you know, and and there's not a whole bunch you can do about it. Uh, there were a lot of really uh, ironic happenings to me uh, while I was senior and almost graduating. I took a uh, Peace Corps exam, and at that time in this country, Peace Corps was an alternative to military service. Right. And 
they kept dragging their feet on telling me what. So I had already, I was already in the Coast Guard. I was already in uh, halfway through boot camp, and I got this little notice from the Peace Corps: "You have been accepted as a fisheries biologist to Micronesia." And <laughs> the Coast Guard said, "Oh no, you haven't. <laughs> You're in the Coast Guard now. You will never go be in the Peace Corps." So. Anyway, that was that was a little bit of a disappointment because I would love to have been uh, able to do that, and that may have furthered my career in biology, which ended up being an avocation rather than a vocation. And uh, after that, I uh, in the education system, they're always needing male teachers. They were wanting specifically science teachers, so I got a temporary certificate, and I taught biology at Leon High School, where I had graduated, and a lot of the teachers that were in the in there were t- teaching me and my uh, contemporaries in, uh, uh, when I was in school. And believe it or not, my mother was actually still teaching at Leon when I was teaching there, but uh, that didn't interfere with anything. She let me be who I was, and, and that was nice. Well, you were telling uh, us earlier uh, during lunch that Pretty much everybody in your family were teachers, right? At, least At one time or another, they had teaching certificates, whether, whether they actually taught. Uh, my mother and father actually met while teaching in a little teeny town in Columbia County called Fort White. And, uh, and, and that was interesting. And they were there when Pearl Harbor uh, got bombed, and then my father joined the Navy, and he was an air traffic controller in the South Pacific, uh, a little teeny island called Pal- Palmyra Island. And uh, But anyway, I got to see a little bit of the Pacific that he told. I landed on a flight. I landed on Wake Island. Uh, we stopped on my ship going to, out to sea every, every patrol, uh, we stopped at Midway Island to refuel, so I got to tour Midway and see all the bomb craters that were still there, and and uh, dodging all the goonie birds that were uh, albatrosses that were laying eggs that were as big as uh, a, a ruler, a foot long ruler, yeah. and uh, but. That part of it I enjoyed. I enjoyed the natural beauty and the natural interest that I had, and I always had a fishing rod with me. I even trolled off the back of our ship, <laughs> and uh, and had a uh, had a uh, an executive officer that liked to fish, so he was accommodating and uh, had some interesting stuff. I worked with the University of Hawaii and developed a uh, we needed to study radioactive carbon 14 in the Pacific waters from all the uh, nuclear tests that the United States had performed uh, at Bikini Atoll and some of the other uh, facilities out there. Uh, I designed a device to capture water at a certain depth and bring it up through it without it changing and been able to study the carbon. did, did some interesting things, but I wasn't meant to be career military, and uh, <laughs> even though they tried to get me to be. Uh, I was lucky that I was able to do some oceanographic, where the Coast Guard has such a small total number of, of members, it was only 35,000 in the whole service, and so everybody had to learn multiple tasks, 
but predominantly I did oceanographic work. I got on my ship. It was a two-year tour of duty. I got on my ship one week after my ship came back from Vietnam, and my two years was up 10 days before it went back on its second tour of Vietnam. I got to squeeze right in between the two. Wow. And even though I was, because I was in ocean, oceanography and not a complete combat role, I didn't, I could have opted out. So in your case, it was only two years of service in the, in the Coast Guard? No, two years on that ship. On the ship. Okay, so four years. Right, I was anywhere from Key West to Miami Beach to Honolulu yeah. to Tallahassee, believe it or not. Well, yeah. how old were you when you went in the Coast Guard? 21. 21. So I went in at 17 in the Air Force. I was mm-hmm. just three months shy of 18. Mm-hmm. And I can tell you that going in the military was the best thing I did. Instead of you know going to college and goofing off, I, Air Force was my first taste of getting away, traveling, traveling around the world. Went to college every every station I was on, every base. They had college courses. Right. Started that. So I'm sitting here having fond memories of some of the things that I was doing when I was in Okinawa, Thailand, just listening to what you're talking about. Because the military helps you grow up. Yes. You get the heck out of town. You grow up. You, you, you do some stupid stuff too, folks. But at least you grow up and you get to know other people. And you have different life experiences. All right, let's fast forward a little bit. Okay. You, you, you get out of the Coast Guard. Right. You come back to Tallahassee. Somewhere along in the way there, uh, you had a first marriage. It lasted 10 years, and you guys got divorced. And right. Then uh, you and Nancy met, and you dated for a number of years. I forget how many years. But tell us uh, tell us what happened once you got back uh, out of the Coast Guard. Just give us kind of a thumbnail sketch there. Well, I, I taught school at Leon, for Leon High School, taught biology for a short period of time, uh, I had no education courses per se at, at FSU, but they needed male teachers and they needed science teachers back in the early 70s. So uh, I got a temporary certificate and taught eight, seven and a half to eight months. I couldn't make the whole year. Uh, went to work with the state at the Division of Retirement. I got offered a, a decent job with the state and stayed with there from 72 to 70, almost 77, mid-late 76, uh, and moved to Missouri to to help my first wife who had some uh, medical problems. Came back to town, got a divorce, uh, worked with my mother and stepfather in the business that they had in some malls around here and other places in Florida and the southeast. And uh, then got uh, met Nancy while I was uh, in between state jobs. And uh, uh, how we were introduced was how we met was very interesting. A, a, a contemporary of my mother who went to college same time at Florida State College for Women with my mother, worked out at Lively. Nancy was on the faculty at, at Lively. Uh, she had a, a master's in speech pathology, and she was working, started out as a speech therapist and then evolved into some other stuff. 
And so this lady knew my situation, knew Nancy's situation, gave each one of us the other's telephone number <laughs> and left it up to us to make the contact. And after about three weeks of getting up enough nerve, I called her. <laughs> and uh, and the rest, I guess you'd say, is history. We dated about eight and a half years. And my, my mother is the one that put the most pressure on me. She said, you better, you better watch what you're doing because you're fixing to lose a wonderful person. And so this is funny and silly and sentimental, but I took my mother and Nancy. My mother was still a widow at the time. I took my mother and Nancy to the Silver Slipper restaurant in a private room and proposed. Nice. Nice. So... (laughs) No, not too many people will propose in front of their parent. But, That's right. But, uh, well, it was fitting because she was the reason you guys got together. Sure. Exactly. <clears throat> I love it. Well, for, for the people who uh, knew Nancy, uh, you know that she was a great lady. For those who didn't, you missed out on knowing a wonderful person, a wonderful human being. Uh, let's talk a little bit more about, uh, you shared with uh, Jay and me earlier about how you had a blind date with Nancy. Would you share that? How you met? Yes. Uh, <laughs> it was kind of funny. I, when I c- called her, uh, we were, at some point, she had tickets to a, a, believe it or not, a Barry Manilow concert at the Civic Center, and I decided, to, I haven't been to a concert. I, I was at that concert. Yes, sir. <laughs> I, <laughs> the Civic Center wasn't that old at the time, and, right. and uh, I hadn't been except for a couple of times while we were dating. And uh, so I called her, and she said, well, how can we meet? And so we decided we would meet downtown at a restaurant, uh, you know, at a specific time, and she described a little bit about her, and I tried to describe a little bit about me. And and sure enough, we met, and it just was... I wouldn't say it was love at first sight, but I, I was fresh, freshly out of a divorce. She had been divorced for quite a while. She had her own house out in Kalarnik Acres, and uh, I was ready to get remarried. I mean, I wanted, but she saw how vulnerable I was and, and how graspy I was, and <laughs> she thought better of that. And the longer we dated, the more the roles reversed. Huh. She wanted to get married, and I was just finding my oats. And, <laughs> and you know, but, you know, I, with a strong encouragement from my family, uh, we got married. Very good. What year did you get married? Uh, 1989. 89. Very good. Very good. So, during this time... What was Nancy's career and where were you working? Is that when you went to community affairs along that time? Uh, yeah, I, I was actually working. Yeah, I think I was unemployed at the time. I uh, was actually living with an old maid aunt. Uh, I did all the yard work. She did all the inside work and we split all the costs 50-50, but I didn't have any money. So I had a little ledger and I kept everything. <clears throat> list of every penny I owed her and when I started work at Department of Community Affairs in 1980 uh, I paid her back 
every penny that was on my little list that I owed her. Now, now you just told us the real reason Nancy didn't want to get married. You didn't have a job and you that's, had no money. That, that's probably that's the, that's what the real is. reason now. And, and she had her own house. That was one of the reasons why I was attracted. No, I'm just kidding. She was a wonderful person. Yes. Lovely yeah. person. But, um, so talk up. what was she doing uh, career-wise? You said she had training in speaking? Yeah, she, she was a, a smart cookie. She, she had a full four-year academic scholarship to Vanderbilt. Well, it was the Peabody College of Education, which is a part of Vanderbilt now. I think back then it was separate. And uh, her parents were educators. Her father was superintendent of schools in the town in Alabama where she grew up in Bessemer, Alabama. And uh, so she was destined to be an educator no matter what. And uh, so she was had gotten married, was living in Tampa, came back to Tallahassee, uh, she had gone to FSU after Vander, after she graduated from Vanderbilt. She went to FSU. She was in the first speech therapy master's program at FSU. So she was actually in graduate school at FSU. I was still in undergraduate school at FSU, but I didn't know her. Hmm. And she was eh, a little over a year and a half older than me, but she was a lot more than a year and a half wiser than me. <laughs> and uh, and uh, but anyway, it, it turned out to be a wonderful, wonderful marriage. She had, she did her things. I did my things, and we did our things. And uh, she respected my likes. I respected her likes. Well, so. knowing you over the years, as I did from the financial advising side, you guys had a remarkable relationship in the way you handled your money mm-hmm. and uh, respected each other. It was awesome. There's a valuable lesson there that. If people could see that as a model, there'd be less stress regarding money and relationships, and mm-hmm. uh, not just money, but just overall relationship. Right. Talk, talk a little bit about, um, since we're into the personal side here, okay. talk a little bit about, uh, you enjoy fishing. You mentioned that earlier, oh, yes. fishing off the, off the ship. But the two of you enjoyed going to the beach and doing things. Would you talk a little bit about right. that? Right. We, we were lucky enough to obtain a house at Alligator Point. Uh, we owned it with another couple because at the time it was the only way we could possibly have afforded it. And uh, But I spent more time there than anybody else. I did more of the maintenance. I did more of the upkeep. But I got more of the enjoyment too. And uh, I would go down there three or four days a week sometime by myself fishing. We After we had owned it about five years, we had a dock built and we were on the bay side. We had deeded beach access, but once the dock was built, I didn't go on the beach again. I just fished off my dock and catch redfish, flounder, trout right in the little tidal creek and really enjoyed it and uh, had a boat, but didn't use my boat too much because my neighbor down there had a bigger boat and he wouldn't dare set foot in my little boat. So <laughs> we always went in his boat. <laughs> and uh, But yeah, I've always loved the outdoors i've been outdoor all my life i grew up on lake ella um, i used to tell people that lake ella was my babysitter <laughs> that my parents would just turn me loose from the lake and i'd learn how to catch fish and net things and turtles and tadpoles and what whatever and i think that was uh spurned my interest in the biology period is just having that at my 
beck and call whenever I wanted to go fish. I just fished. And at one time, that was actually on my grandparents' property, half, half the Lake Kellogg. It was called Bull Pond way back when. And I have cousins that are trying to get me to write Chronicle of Growing Up on Lake Kellogg. <clears throat> I got 28 chapters, but I ain't got anything written in any one of the chapters, but I got the titles. Well, that's a start. I think you should do that. There's a lot of history in that head uh, about our community that I think people would enjoy. Matter of fact, maybe we'll sit down and have another podcast on that sometime. Well, and then you can take the recording of it and use that as a transcript to get started. We'll help you. It sounds that. like an idea. That'd be fun. Yeah. I, the, the benefit for me and for Jay over here, we'll get some history. They will hear about it first. Okay. And we'll, maybe we can get a book out of you. Well, you, you touched on... Just a real brief thing about how uh, we decided on our financial responsibilities when Nancy and I got married. Right. We looked at both of our individual incomes and decided what percentage of the total income was one and which was the other. We looked at our fixed recurring costs and said, all right, based on our two respective incomes, You'll take this, this, and this, and I'll take this, this, and this. And uh, we tried to start a, a joint checking account because we thought that's what we were supposed to do. But after two or three years, the little bit of money we put in there was still there. We had never touched it. So <laughs> we said she was independent enough and I was independent enough. So we kind of did it on the own. And that way, if she wanted to go buy a pair of shoes, she could, and I didn't have to tell her about my fishing tackle or stuff that I, that I bought. Right. And, uh, when she died, uh, uh, she had a real small foot, so I had a hard time finding somebody that could wear her shoe size. And I finally found a friend that I used to work with who also knew Nancy. And she came out of the house and tried on 47 pairs of shoes and took 45 of them. <laughs> and I'm still finding shoes. I'll open a closet and there'll be some more shoes. Uh, you know, so. <laughs> so if they'd been a joint account, you might have gone nuts. That's right. Uh, that's, that's exactly funny. right. Yeah, we're, we're laughing at something here, folks. And uh, uh, you'd have to know Nancy and the relationship that she and Carlton had. That uh, uh, great people. But what you did, what you described about the money side, worked for the two of you. Yes. Other people, it would not work. Right. They have to have that joint account. And that's, in 44 years of doing what I've been doing, I've seen all kinds of plans. I'm sure. And to me, there is no ideal plan. It's whatever works for the couple. And it worked very well for the two of you. I know we'd have review meetings and come in, and she would know all the numbers right right to the penny. Mm -hmm. And I think for quite some time, you pretty much relied on her to take care of a lot of the things. Yeah, it, it, it kind of slowly evolved that way because she retired earlier than I did. And part of the reason I retired when I did was you know, getting up, at, leaving the house at 6.30 and she's still in the bed asleep. I couldn't take it too much longer, so I decided I better go ahead and retire too. <laughs> but but she evolved and taken on a lot of accounts, especially online stuff. And uh, one of the significant difficulties that I had after she died was her being as independent as she was. She had her own passwords and and, and accounts and, and contacts, and, and I did not know. I couldn't get into even income tax stuff. I had a hard time getting in online because I didn't know passwords. And, and when she died and I tried to access some of her accounts that 
I knew I was the beneficiary of, uh, I, I had some difficulty. Right. Let me pause you for a second there. Folks, what Carlton is sharing is so important because whether you're working with us or someone like us, make sure that you have all these passwords put somewhere secure and make sure that everybody that's involved in your world knows about it. Carlton, something we're doing now we're encouraging people to have their adult children be part of our review sessions right. so that at least the adult children know who we are. We know them. It makes life much easier if somebody gets sick or hurt or in the event of death. Right. And it makes life easier. Uh, are you comfortable sharing what happened regarding leading up to Nancy's a- accident and ultimate death? Did you share Well, uh, I'll try. <laughs> And if, it's, and if it's too difficult, understand. Well, uh, Nancy, first of all, it was the second marriage for both of us. Nancy did not have children by our first marriage. I didn't have children by our first marriage. We didn't have children together. So uh, that was difficult. When she developed breast cancer and had a bilateral mastectomy and went through reconstruction. And she had gone through five years of, since the cancer and uh, had regular checkups all the time. And I'm not going to point fingers at who doctors were or anything like that, but they, weren't in, they were not in Thomasville. She loved Thomasville. Uh, so we never had any indication that she's, had recurring cancer. Uh, she fell one night. She was she was a uh, in the Tallahassee Civic Corral. They rehearsed out at uh, TCC. One night, coming back to the car, she tripped over one of the stops that are in, in parking lots for the wheels to hit the stop. She tripped over it. Uh, I know it was a. I can almost tell you which. Tuesday night it was because I had another meeting. It was always on a Tuesday night, and she called me and said she'd fallen. She was bleeding bad, and but she could drive home. Uh, and she hurt her back. They found a a, a uh, slight stress fracture in one of her vertebrae, and she got to where she couldn't do a lot of the things. She tried. She couldn't go to football games with me anymore because she couldn't climb the steps. Uh, they had a concert. Uh, she fell in October. They had a uh, the corral had a concert in December. Uh, she didn't think she could do it, and uh, they told her, "We'll we'll let you sit in a chair or a wheelchair if you need." Uh, that wasn't Nancy. She stood up. Hold on. <clears throat> okay. Uh, but anyway. The pain got worse and worse, and they kept blaming it on this uh, fracture. She got to the point where she couldn't get in the bed to sleep. She stayed 24-7 in a chair because she couldn't move. And I had to assist her. And going to doctor's appointments in Thomasville was in and of itself a rough ordeal, just getting her in the car, getting her up there. We went up there for, she was going to have a bone, something, where they injected dye in the bone so they could get a better view of this fracture. Right. And 
the whole time her stomach started descending. Nancy was a small lady. Uh, and from her profile, it, it almost looked like she was pregnant at 70-something years old. And, and, and every time we went in the last six months, I asked the doctor, I said, isn't this something you need to be concerned? Oh, no, that's just lack of uh, muscle control because she hasn't been mobile. She's been confined to a chair for as long as you But we'll take care of her. We'll, we'll inject some super glue type stuff on that bone and everything will be just fine. Oh, she was going to have this one more scan and her regular doctor, her, her family practitioner up there said, Stop by my office first before you go over to Archbold to have this thing done. And she was in so much pain. They drew some blood, but she was in so much pain that they called an ambulance to take her one and a half blocks to the hospital. So she was in the, in the emergency room at Archbold Hospital. Real nice people, but it you know, seemed forever before diagnosis came. And finally, a, a doctor came out that I didn't know that told me that Cancer had gotten all over her. So that's what was causing the stomach to be distended? Basically, it was her liver, but the, the breast cancer had metastasized into her, her body. And at that point, they told us, I said, how much time are we talking about? She said, short. That's all she would say. Well, I get back home. It was on a Monday. Tried to get hospice involved on Tuesday. They brought a hospital bed out to the house, oxygen tank out to the house and it just didn't work out so I tried I got her into hospice house on a Wednesday they immediately put her into a morphine induced coma I couldn't talk to her I mean I talked to her but I couldn't converse with her and uh, and that was on a Wednesday and the following Tuesday she was dead it was fast yeah I remember I was shocked how fast it was uh, thank you for sharing that. There are people listening to this who uh, are going through something similar or will in the future. Mm. And uh, sharing your story is helpful. Uh, thank you for doing that. Okay. Let's talk about... easy. No, it's not easy. Let's talk about where you are now. Uh, you you uh, and I have had some private, personal conversations about how difficult that's been losing her. She was uh, your, your partner in life, friend. But... Life goes on, and you've been doing other things, and, and so share, share <laughs> what you're doing. The, the, the funny part for me is you're now taking ballroom dancing lessons, so let's talk about that a little bit, and I, I know there's a knucklehead that got you involved in that, but... Um, uh, should that knucklehead's name be mentioned? <laughs> yeah, go ahead. <laughs> it was me. <laughs> John Curry, the one and only... Uh, <laughs> convinced me to meet him out at this ballroom dancing place and uh, one evening and he was just going to have a little party and they may have wine or something and I get to meet some people and maybe they... so I went and they had this special man I can't turn down a special <laughs> and uh, so so they they <laughs> you're funny they uh, uh I had a three-lesson special, and then once you, they just, you know, you dip your toe into the water, you want to maybe go a little bit further, so another five lessons, and then another five lessons, and I keep thinking, there's no hope, <laughs> but my instructor says, oh, yes, there is, and 
and she has very much encouraged me and that uh, one-on-one so it's not like a group dancing thing at the senior center but I understand that that is what does well for people too absolutely and uh, but anyway yes I am where I'll ever use it or not we, Nancy and I were members of the Tallahassee Town Club which is nothing but a social club we had four dinner dances a year when we joined uh, at the request of some mutual friends of ours, Cal and Lou Ogburn. Yes. Uh, and this was a couples-only club. Uh, I think Nancy and I were the youngest couple there when we joined. There were people there that I knew were con- contemporaries of my parents that I knew growing up. They were part of it. But, you know, age catches up with you, and, and people slowly... Uh, die off and and unfortunately but the only way you could stay as a single member of the town club is if you were a widow or a widower having been a member as a couple Mm -hmm. so i tried to continue but it didn't work yeah i can understand why so what let's talk about what the uh dancing is doing for you because i'm convinced that as we age we have to keep the brain (laughs) active it, taking the dancing lessons makes you think. You can't just jump out there and do anything. Right. So talk a little bit about that because I think it's important to give well, you exercise. I've always wanted to dance. It's always been on our collective bucket list, and we just never got around to it. And uh, Nancy and I would dance. We didn't know what we were doing. We got out there wiggled, but none of the other people knew whether we were doing it right or wrong or not, so it didn't matter. And... Uh, <laughs> and uh, it's fun. It's frustrating at times because uh, I made a wrong turn the other day and something we were doing and my instructor hit me across the nose with her elbow and about broke my nose and she felt really bad about it but it was my fault because I took a step in the wrong direction because I couldn't remember what I was supposed to do. But I think it'll turn out just fine whether I'll ever use it or not will be another story. Uh I have got to get a lot of confidence built up before I'll be feeling free to just see some lady standing or sitting and going over and asking her to dance that I don't know. Well, the, the reason I did it is because I wanted, and I told the instructors, I want the ability that no matter where I am, whatever function, that if I want to dance, I can and feel comfortable. Right. I don't care about being in competition. I don't care about being on you know, Dancing with the Stars. I just want the ability to go out and be able to dance and not make a fool of myself. That's well, <laughs> that's, and I don't know whether I'll ever get to that point or not, but I'm trying. Well, I saw you, know. you dancing the night at that, at that social. You were doing pretty darn good, mm-hmm. and, and uh, you were dancing with a lot of different people. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm real comfortable with my instructor because she's got a lot of patience. Right. And, of course, she says the same about me, that I have patience with her, and that's one thing that... My wife said I didn't have. She couldn't ever figure out how I could sit and wait four hours for a fish to bite because I didn't. I didn't have patience at anything else. I, how come I did for that? You know. Well, I'm gonna throw a little plug in here for the. We're talking, we're talking about Monarch Ballroom Dancing mm-hmm. Studio, and Michael's the owner there, and they've done a fantastic job. They, uh, you feel welcome, and they they have socials. So obviously, if anybody's interested in learning more about that, just contact them at their website, Monarch Ball uh, Dancing. Um, Carlton, I'm just, I can't believe how much time's already mm-hmm. gone by, but uh, let's do a little wrap-up here. Uh, in addition, I just want to say that uh, people 50 and older in Tallahassee 
should take advantage of the Ali, which yeah. is OSHA Lifelong Learning Institute at FSU, and take advantage of the classes. It's learning for the fun of learning, no tests, no homework, yeah. nothing like that. I've been taking classes out there now for about two and a half years and really, really enjoy it. That's another option for people. I was going to ask you if there was anything you wanted to share with people to, to check into, so let's do that. So you've already hit one thing that I, I believe strongly in, as you know, that's lifetime learning. Correct. Constantly be learning. I'm 66 years old. People ask me when I'm going to retire. I hope I'm like George Burns, still going at age 100. Mm-hmm. So I'm constantly reading and studying, traveling, going to conferences. I was at one last week in Dallas, and I look around the room, and I'm like, there should be more people here. But from the standpoint of just an overall wrap-up, what are the things that you would want to uh, leave people thinking about? Well, I think in, in any kind of partnership, whether it's business or marriage or whatever, that the partners need to know everything that the other partner's doing. Um, I mean, I'm not saying you can't have a few secrets when you're married. I, I mean, when it... it Involves, like, how many, like how many shoes or fishing right, holes you bought. Right, exactly. <laughs> or uh, just the especially financial, how it affects your your life, that you need to really understand everything, all the aspects of it, so uh, not get stuck. Because uh, you're in a bad enough mindset when you lose spouse. Right. And then trying to deal with all the other stuff is very difficult. And if you got more obstacles thrown at you than you were ever anticipating, it just makes it that much more of a struggle. Which makes planning important. Yes, and very much. And some people think it's, it's not just planning, it's planning and organization. Making sure that you know where everything is, each of you know the passwords, you know where the, the accounts are held, you know who the beneficiaries are. One of the things that we look at, even with accounts that people don't have with us, they say, well, my beneficiary is so-and-so. Let's double-check that. Mm-hmm. And invariably, we'll find accounts where there's either no beneficiary or a former spouse. Well, your, your organization uh, provides a very valuable tool in that uh, living balance sheet where all your financial stuff is kind of in one place, life insurance, investments, everything. And you can get and see where the interaction, where the totality is where instead of just piecemealing it uh, that is a very important tool thank you we think it's the foundation of what we do mm-hmm. in the sense of identifying what people have helping them identify it what's working mm-hmm. what's not working right and it's a tool where they can see it on their own 24 7 without having us you know, being in the room all the time mm-hmm. carlton we're out of time okay I want to thank you so much for joining well, us I'm, and I'm, thank you for your friendship i'm sorry that uh I'm so verbose and just continue talking and talking and talking. Don't apologize, my friend. I think it was fantastic. I'm looking forward to hearing this again myself. Well, thanks again for joining us. Thank you for inviting me. Our pleasure. And uh, Jay and I enjoyed having lunch with you. Okay. Thank you. Folks, thank you for listening. And uh, we'll talk to you on the next episode of the Secure Retirement Podcast. If you would like to know more about John Curry services, you can request a complimentary information package by visiting johnhcurry.com slash podcast. Again, that is johnhcurry.com slash podcast. Or you can call his office at 850-562-3000. Again, that is 850-562-3000. 
John H. Curry, Chartered Life Underwriter, Chartered Financial Consultant, Accredited Estate Planner, Master's in Science and Financial Services, Certified in Long-Term Care, Registered Representative and Financial Advisor of Park Avenue Securities, LLC. Securities, products, and services and advisory services are offered through Park Avenue Securities, a registered broker-dealer and investment advisor. Financial Representative of the Guardian Life Insurance Company of America, New York, New York. Park Avenue Securities is an indirect, wholly-owned subsidiary of Guardian. North Florida Financial Corporation is not an affiliate or subsidiary of Park Avenue Securities. Park Avenue Securities is a member of FINRA and SIPC. This material is intended for general public use. By providing this material, we are not undertaking to provide investment advice for any specific individual or situation or to otherwise act in a fiduciary capacity. Please contact one of our financial professionals for guidance and information specific to your individual situation. All investments contain risk and may lose value. Past performance is not a guarantee of future results. Guardian, its subsidiaries, agents, or employees do not provide legal, tax, or accounting advice. Please consult with your attorney, accountant, and or tax advisor for advice concerning your particular circumstances. Not affiliated with the Florida Retirement System. The Living Balance Sheet and the Living Balance Sheet logo are registered service marks of the Guardian Life Insurance Company of America, New York, New York. Copyright 2005-2018. through 2018. This podcast is for informational purposes only. Guest speakers and their firms are not affiliated with or endorsed by Park Avenue Securities or Guardian and opinions stated are their own.